When I was a kid, I wanted to be a filmmaker, and now I am a writer and a painter. Hi, I'm Ben Hanani. Welcome to How Do You Do, a podcast featuring creative guests sharing the nuances of their process. Just a quick reminder to subscribe, rate, and review the show on Apple Podcasts is the most helpful thing you can do for the podcast. My guest today is Danny Licht. Danny is a painter and the author of Cooking As Though You Might Cook Again. He lives in Los Angeles. Without further ado, welcome to the pod, Danny. Thank you, Ben. It's good to be here. Good to have you. And I mean, this this was so fun because I was just telling you as we were uh, you know, chatting before the recording that... It reminded me of the writing I got to enjoy when we were in high school together, when you were writing for Beverly Hills High Highlights. And I, I, I want to start by reading this amazing paragraph that's printed on the back cover, because I think it's going to hook a lot of people in. It certainly hooked me in. And uh, I'll, I'll do my best reading of it. Hopefully I do it some justice. You say, I want to think about cooking more so that I can think about it less. I like cooking, but I don't like it as much as walking to the park or sitting down. On the other hand, I care about what I eat. I want the food I eat to be good for me and to feel good in me, to taste good, to be reasonably inexpensive, and I want to come by it more or less ethically. In that order, actually. It is lucky that these things do not need to be at odds with each other. One way to begin cooking, the best way I know, is to begin with what you have. That's what soup is. I mean, that you just articulated all these ideas and attitudes I've had toward cooking, and it, I just really enjoyed that. So... To start, I'd love to hear about your cooking journey and at what point it occurred to you to write this book. Yeah, um, thank you. Yeah, thanks for reading that. I, uh, I, um, I learned to cook. I started to read cookbooks in college, like early on in college when I moved to an apartment and felt like I needed to cook. And... I was surprised by how much I liked the writing of Alice Waters cookbooks in particular. Like I didn't, it didn't occur to me that a cookbook could be like a great book. And so that was my introduction to cooking. I, I ended up working at her restaurant for a few months one summer as an intern. And, uh, and, uh, yeah, and then I was kind of I was just like looking for something to do after college and decided like private chef work would be um good good for the time being. So I I started this little business where I was cooking dinner parties and cooking for families and uh that's it. That's my journey. The book, the book actually, you I forgot. The book came about a few years ago. I I was frustrated with the way I saw other people cooking. After I learned to cook freely, happily, more or less without recipes, I saw my friends and family bombarded by obsessiveness, trying to like um, follow recipes to a T and they would get frustrated if they didn't have tarragon or if the soup cooked for one extra minute or that kind of thing and and just from learning 
to cook at a restaurant and and cooking a lot on my own i i mean you you can learn pretty quickly that most of those things don't matter so much and i wanted to be a little bit altruistic and and um help people cook more happily so that's that was the thought i love that and you you mentioned in the book you know you're seeking to kind of emulate the Italian grandmother who doesn't necessarily have measurements to the, you know, precise tablespoon. Right. And it made me think of a lot of friends of mine who have asked, you know, their parents or their grandparents for recipes and they don't, they don't get, uh, you know, come back with like five tablespoons of this, two teaspoons of this. It's just, they watch their mom <laughs> or their grandma cook and right. they, they follow along and they emulate it and they don't need these precise recipes. And that actually, is pretty liberating and they still you know get to make these amazing meals so i i thought that's really beautiful and a great yeah. driving theme throughout the book you mentioned you know you were at chez panisse and i'm curious you know what influence that had on your cooking as well yeah that was i mean it, it had total influence i <laughs> anything i know now i learned there and and then on my own just from cooking but that was like a, I was I felt like I was thrown into the major leagues, and and I and by being thrown into the major leagues, I learned that there, in a way, there's no major leagues. Like it's all very simple. Of course, things get there's a taste you can develop a sense of what's good and a sense of what would make something better, and what would make something more beautiful. These things come in time but i learned i just i learned that it's so you can be so free when you're cooking and and that somebody who's only a cooked from cookbooks can make can come to like one of the great restaurants on the planet and and make soup his first week there and then that's and then serve it as though as though it's in the major leagues and it is because it's simple it's easy yeah, I think that's something that readers will appreciate. I know I certainly did, is the notion that you don't need to overthink these things. Like exactly what you said about soup. It's it's oftentimes what you have left over in your fridge, what you have left over to make, and you can you can get something really beautiful out of it very simply. You know, I'm curious, as as you have these recipes swirling around in your head and it comes time to to write them down. You took you took an unconventional approach for a cookbook, if that's even a label I'm allowed to bestow on this, um, because yes, you you write the ingredients that you use at the end of each passage, but it's not written formulaically. It's written you know in prose, which is which is unusual for cookbooks. Tell me a little bit about the writing process and what did that what did that look like for you? Where did you get a lot of your writing done? Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. I um I think my initial my initial idea for the book w was more systematic and more traditional if I mean there's this idea of the cookbook that's developed in the last 70 years that's with the recipe as we know it and and instructions underneath the ingredients and uh I, I don't know. I found some older cookbooks written in the in the forties and fifties, um, a few years ago, which just kind of shocked me in in the sense that I didn't realize that 
cookbooks didn't always look like that. I never thought about the cookbook as a form. And so that really opened the question for me of what, what a cookbook might be, what it might be for, what it might do, how it might work, what it is to teach somebody something, what it is to explain something, how to replicate something on a different continent with different ingredients and different tools and different ideas of what's a meal, things like that. I forgot the question. <laughs> no, it was about that. That answers a lot of it. It was about your writing process. And that's interesting. Your sources of inspiration are fascinating because it reminds me of something I read about the journalist Fareed Zakaria, who's also very much into cooking. And he, when he's on the treadmill, he watches like old Julia Child's videos because he yeah. finds those to actually be super instructional and informative in comparison to some of the more contemporary cooking shows. And it's, it's interesting that you found similar inspiration going back, you know, 60 years or so, finding older, older cookbooks who took a different approach and that, that worked for you. And when you have these source of inspiration and, and you have the ideas to sit down and write, where, where did you find you were getting most of your writing done if there was a, a common place? I, I think most of it was done. Well, at first I was trying to, when I was trying to write a more, a more normal book, I was taking notes in the kitchen, but that stopped after like one day. And then I was writing at, <laughs> at, uh, at coffee shops. Yeah. At, um, I, I wrote much of it at coffee commissary on Fairfax. Oh, I love that place. Great coffee. I think some of the best yeah. in LA. Yeah. Yeah. I like it there. And then, and then the pandemic came and I finished writing it at home. Lovely. And, yeah. and so I, I understand the sources of writing inspiration. I understand the, some of the meals, uh, or at least the approach to them inspired by Chez Panisse. I'm curious, with these meals that you know how to make, would you say these, these are, despite the fact that they're simple, do you find yourself making them daily or are, they, are, there, are there some that are more suited in your own life toward like special occasions? How do, you, how do you find yourself allocating these meals that you found great joy in? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a good question. I, my cooking comes and goes in, in waves. So lately I've been making beans again frequently, which, which I do often. I love beans. I, I, um, I feel like that, that fact has become well publicized. People seem shocked by it. And, <laughs> and so seem to talk about it a lot. And I get pictures of beans a lot, that kind of thing, which is great. I love seeing them. Sometimes they look amazing and make me, make me very hungry. <laughs> I just uh, love the idea that you have friends sending you photos of beans and you're egging yeah. each other on. That's great. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. Um, there's a cake in the book that I, I'm, that's special. The roast chicken is a little bit special. I mean, that's like probably weekly. I don't know. It just comes and goes. You know, I, I'm someone who... Throughout the pandemic, I've actually started going on different meal subscription plans. But in part from your book, I've become a little inspired that maybe maybe I'll start taking baby steps like on the weekends or something, uh, yeah. even if it's just doing some meal prep on a Sunday. I think there's real value in that. I've started just on my own for breakfast, 
I don't do anything too crazy, but I make like a veggie omelet and that's just frozen vegetables and eggs. And but like that's so much more gratifying than the box of cereal that might take 30 seconds compared to the 10 minutes that it takes to make a simple veggie omelet. And yeah. uh, I, I don't know if you if you found this, but you you appreciate something, whether it's food or furniture you've set up, you you, uh, you tend to appreciate it more. Like there were studies that um, if I showed you a chair, just like a generic chair and asked you to value it, the value you would assign to that chair is uh, lower than if you had made that same chair. So if you had actually taken the time to make it, you would assign it a higher value than if you just saw it in like an Ikea catalog. I wonder if you had the same experience with cooking and enjoying your own food. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know. It really depends. So sometimes it's the opposite. I mean, I love when other people cook for me and I don't have to do anything. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I, like I'm really not kidding in the book when, when, when I say I want to think about cooking more so I can think about it less. <laughs> I, I love cooking, but I love not cooking even more. Yeah, well, that that might have something to do with you know the labor very well that goes into the labor of love that goes into it. Yeah, but but the good thing is I don't I don't think about it as labor. It's just it's just something to do. It's just like I get started and then I'm in it and and then I do it until it's done and and it's it's I guess it's fun because I'm not even thinking about it. I'm just like doing stuff. <laughs> Is there any advice you have for somebody who who doesn't quite know where to start? Like they know they, they like this book. They love everything you're saying about risotto and soup, um, <laughs> but they're not they're not quite sure where to start. Where would you have someone like that start? I would say I mean, I, f I feel like everyone knows how to cook something, whether it's plain pasta or oatmeal. And I would say just keep doing that um and and think about recognize what's working and what's not working and and how do you can improve upon it think about the best version of that you've ever had like at a restaurant or at a friend's house and um don't don't try to do too much because if it's if it's your first time making a pasta like some kind of pasta and you want to get fancy, you'll, you're probably gonna, you're probably gonna fuck up in a bad way. <laughs> <laughs> you're probably going to add way too much cheese or something. <laughs> so I try be cook simply, and, and and as time goes on, you'll you'll start cooking more in a more nuanced way, um, just just by virtue of paying attention and practice. I like how you temper expectations. You do it so gently and politely. And then you even in the book, you know, you kind of welcome the times where things don't go perfectly. Could you talk a little bit about that in your own cooking journey about how, you know, iterate feels like too Silicon Valley of a word to use for, you know, cooking. But as you were going through, you know, meals and, and, and seeing what worked and what didn't, how, what was that feeling like for you? How did you how did you sense you were getting better at meals, and how did you, uh, I guess, cope with with what could have been frustration at not having it come out as you had expected? Yeah. Oh God. <laughs> don't make me don't make me think about that. Um, so I, I I mentioned I worked 
as a private chef for a while, for a few years. I just, I recently stopped during the pandemic. Um, and in situations like a big dinner party where you're serving like 30 people or, or whatever, or 10 people or, or 50 people, whatever, like mistakes just just have to be incorporated. And I learned early on that like like early when I first started cooking, I would cook something and be very apologetic about it to my friends. Like, this is too salty. This is whatever. This is whatever. And I learned quickly that I should just shut up about that. Like, it's like, it, at least I don't want to think too much about the food when I'm at a dinner party. And if the chef is anxious and, and needs everyone to love the food, like the food should not be so important. And I think in most situations, it's not. So one thing to do with mistakes is to be quiet about them. So probably no one else is gonna notice that, like, whatever. Like, no one's gonna notice. People generally are happy to eat food that's decent. And probably whatever food you cook is going to be decent. Yeah, I mean, anytime I watch any of these cooking competition shows and you see these, you know, very well-trained chefs critiquing people, I always think to myself, this harsh criticism that they just gave on this food, this food probably would be the best meal I've ever had. But they're just like the salt, it's a tad too salty or whatever. Yeah. But, and and it, it can take a lot of the fun out of it. So I really like what you're saying about not taking it that seriously. And as, as you say, in many cases, people probably won't even notice. Cooking aside, I think another thing the book does really well is you, throughout the whole book, the there are images, there are photographs that are very stylized and, and just complement your writing very well. What was the collaboration like in terms of the photography in the book? Yeah, um, so so Laura Latinsky is a, is a photographer who lives in Chicago. Um, and she was my first, she was my teacher in, in college and my first art teacher um, before I had really any interest in, in the visual arts. And uh, seeing her pictures back then when I was 18 or 19, I was startled by them, by this, like, this way that she incorporated the, um, disregarded the broken the leftover the ugly into some kind of strange arrangement some unity some like odd beauty and that stayed with me and when i was writing the book and i realized like what the book was going to be i i was in my head communing with her with mm. her work well, wow. I could, I was, I was sort of imagining her work and I, and I fantasized that her, that her pictures might be in the book. And so I very timidly emailed her, um, right after the book was finished to ask if she would have any interest in this. And she, to my extreme pleasure, <laughs> um, was happy to, to be involved. So that's, that's Wow, that's awesome. That's what happened. 
Yeah. When so so the photographs came after you had finished writing. As you were writing, did you did you outline things like in I'm in the TV writing world where for an episode, usually the writers will outline the episode and then then go into like the script and then of course right. notes come throughout the process, but it usually goes outline, script and then you have a finished episode. How did you find your process working for this book in terms of writing it? I think I made an outline. I'm not so much of an outliner. So I think I made an outline and then just forgot about it. <laughs> like I made a list. I think I made like a table of contents for myself. And then and then I'm more of a I'm more of a I do things. I let things come as they come. Yeah. I I have a hard time. I mean as as the book is kind of about like I don't think about things from a bird's eye view until maybe after the fact. Mm. So you had like a set list basically, and then you went out yeah. and carried out that set list. Yeah. Yeah. I had a set list. Exactly. <laughs> I do. I do like, yeah, I like that. Nice. I mean, I, I really enjoyed this. It was, it's one of those pieces of writing that, that made me think, wow, these are, these are thoughts I've had for so long and I just hadn't known how to articulate it. And then when you see someone else articulate it, it's kind of like watching a great standup. It's they, it's just such great observation and then the ability to execute and share and communicate those observations in such a compelling way. It's, it's a joy to, to read. And, uh, it's not just great prose. It's obviously great recipes for delicious food. So there's a lot to be Thank loved you, in this book. So we'll, we'll, uh, we'll wrap up with some fun little rapid fire questions. Firstly, what's an app that you can't live without? <laughs> um, the no I like the notes app. Who would you like to play you in a movie about your life? <laughs> Daniel day Lewis. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> if you could wake up tomorrow, having gained one skill or ability, what would it be? Where's a place you haven't been to yet that you hope to visit? Um, China. What's a song? What's a song you like to jam to? And I'll I'll uh, also add that we have a playlist of all our guest song recommendations. So if there's one song in particular you'd like to contribute <laughs> to our playlist, what would it be? That's that's intimidating. Uh, I uh, lately I've been listening to the new Bright Eyes album quite a bit there's this song calais to dover that i that I, i'm fond of awesome that's your that'll be your yeah. contribution we love it okay okay and lastly where can people find your book and keep up with you on social media um the book is available wherever books are sold so local bookstores any of the giant giants but mainly local bookstores and uh i have an instagram it's my name, Danny Licht. Awesome. And if anyone's interested yeah. in the pod, you can check us out on Instagram at HDYDpod. Danny, thank you so much, man. I am so excited for people to check out this book. You've done some really great work. Thank you, Ben. Of course. It was good to, good to talk to you. Likewise.